Thank you so much for being here this morning. My name is Peter Solaro. I am so thrilled. <laughs> That's so many friends and family here. It's amazing. Thank you. Oh my gosh, it's so exciting. I am especially thrilled to be here now. That lifts my spirits. Um, my name is Peter Solaro, and I actually grew up at Christ Church. I was a member of the Koinonia High School community um, when I was 16, 17, 18 years old. And over the last six years, I've had the joy of serving with them and just seeing what amazing things God is doing uh, in the hearts of young people. And now, most relevant to us today is I've, I'm on staff on the missions team at Christ Church um, with a focus on missional living. And so if that term is unfamiliar to you, um, you're not alone. A lot of people will come up to me, you know, I put on my little Christchurch name tag, my magnetic name tag on Sunday mornings. I go out into the church, I'm like a little golden retriever, so excited to meet people. Like, hi, I'm Peter. Hi, I'm Peter. I put a bunch of spearmint lifesavers in my pocket to counteract the coffee breath, you know, because I'm going to be talking to a lot of people. And people say, oh, missional living, cool. What, what in the world is that? Um, actually, I had a guy a couple months ago where I was talking. I just met him, never met him before. And he's looking at my name tag. He stops me mid-sentence. He's like, missional, I'm pretty sure you made that word up. <laughs> and I was like, ha, ah, And he wasn't laughing. He was serious. I was like, thanks. Thanks, guy. My job is totally made up. But I encourage you, it's not made up. Um, missional living is a thing and in fact, it's a vital thing. It's absolutely vital to our discipleship. Um, the more I, I read Scripture, the more I learn about Jesus and see Him at work, the more I realize that living into God's mission for us um, is an absolutely vital but often neglected part of our faith. And so that's what I want to explore with you guys today. Um, prior to joining the missions team at Christ Church, I was a marketing writer. And um, so I had this idea in my head that I was going to find a way to distill God's mission, distill the idea of living your life missionally into a catchy tagline. I was going to come up with that one phrase. It's like, all these ideas, I'm going to figure out what they are. I'm just going to nail it down. I'm going to get the got milk of missions. You know, like if you're going to distill God's mission into two words, what's it going to be? Um, and so I start talking to mission partners, and I got a chance to go to Kenya and I met a lot of people who are doing God's work day to day. Um, Chicagoans who live in the Middle East who are, are sh uh, sharing the gospel with Muslims every day at great personal risk. Um, I've met 20-somethings who live on college campuses and they're sharing the gospel with students who aren't always excited to hear that. Um, I've met people who greet refugees from war-torn nations at O'Hare Airport. These people step off the plane friendless, penniless, and these disciples are standing there with a smile and a hug ready to greet these people. Uh, they are expressing God's love to people who feel like they have no place, they have no home, no family, and they drive them to their new safe homes that local churches have furnished um, at their own expense. Um, I've met people who travel to Turkey to teach Bible classes to pastors there. I've met people who, who run after-school programs to keep kids in Chicago um, off the streets after school during the time when it's most dangerous for them to be out there. Um, I've served alongside Doug and Camille Nelson uh, and Miss Debbie. It's, her name is Debbie Barker, but I think of her as Miss Debbie because she was my son's preschool teacher, who have, have worked, they've served in a food pantry nearly every Saturday for 12 years. 
Doug, is, Doug and Camille are here. They, they said they've, they've only missed two Saturdays in like 12 years. Can we applaud for that? It's insane to me. And so as I chat with people who are doing God's work out in the community and out in the world in so many ways, um, the marketer in me came to this realization. There ain't no tagline for that. Like, what could possibly encapsulate all that God is doing? No catchy slogan could ever do justice to God's mission. No one-liner could ever capture all that God is doing in the world. The mission of God is multifaceted, far-reaching, globe-spanning, life-transforming, and the ramifications are different for each of us. Try to write a tagline for that. So, the question is, where do we begin? If we ourselves want to start to live into God's mission the way that all these people I mentioned have, what does it look like? The good news is, Jesus gave us a framework, guidelines for how to live our lives to align ourselves with God's plans for the world. So if you've got a Bible handy, and I see there's some on the table. If you don't, if you feel like grabbing one, there's some back there. Or if you have your Bible app, whatever you're using, uh, turn with me to Matthew 22, and we can explore that framework together. This is Matthew 22. We're starting at verse 34. Matthew 22, verse 34. So at this time in his ministry, word about Jesus had gotten out. People were talking about, who is this rabbi? He's performing miracles. He's saying all this stuff that to the religious leaders of the time was pretty scandalous. There were a lot of people who felt threatened by what Jesus had to say. They were trying to silence him. They were trying to get him in trouble. So these Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, would ask Jesus these tricky questions because they were hoping to trip him up. They were hoping to expose him as a fraud. They were hoping to get him in trouble. So starting at Matthew 22, 34 through 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. I like to imagine they have this kind of like old wizard voice. Mm, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? I bet you didn't imagine the Pharisees like that, right? Imagine like Gandalf, you know, Lord of the Rings. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. You, strength you see in other translations, and love your neighbor as yourself. Hold on to that for a second. Keep that in your head. We're going to skip ahead now to Matthew 25. It's just a page or two. We're looking at Matthew 25, verse 31. So while a lot of Jesus' teaching takes the form of parables, these are kind of stories, earthly stories with a divine meaning, um, this is not really a parable. In a sense, this is, this is something that Jesus is telling us is true. It will happen. It's a prediction. It's a promise. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, guess what? The Son of Man, that's him. He's talking to the third person. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people, 
one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. This is the crucial part here. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And these people are surprised who Jesus is talking to. So then, then the righteous will answer him, Huh? I mean, it doesn't say huh in my translation, but I imagine they said that. Huh? Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? I don't remember that. Do you remember that? And they're like nudging each other. When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? I don't remember that. The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. Church, do you believe this? Do you believe it? I mean, I don't know. Tell me the truth. Yes, thumbs up, thumbs down. I see a lot of thumbs up. That's good. Okay. Think of the last time you saw someone in need. You're out in the community. Someone is cold. Or a friend is sick. Or a friend is lonely. Someone is hungry. Did you believe that in stopping to help them from taking time out of your schedule to step aside and say, how can I love on you? Did you believe that you were loving Jesus himself? When you're driving into Trader Joe's, you're pulling in the parking lot there, you've got things to do, you've got a grocery list, and you see the person sitting there with a cardboard sign. Did you see Jesus' face behind the sign? I, I have to admit, I, I don't always think that way. Um, but David Fitch does. David Fitch is a pastor and seminary professor at Northern Seminary right here in the neighborhood um, who happens to live in my neighborhood in Westmont. And his book, Seven Practices for the Church on Mission, I encourage you to check it out, Seven Practices for the Church on Mission, explores the vital necessity of inviting Christ's presence into our everyday lives, the people that we see day to day, especially into our interactions with those in need. I'm going to read you a little passage from his book. In early church history, this is actually, we met him, our small group got to meet him, his voice is more like, in early church history, the church believed they were encountering the presence of the living Christ in the poor. But I'm going to read it in my voice so it doesn't throw you off. It drove their existence. Encountering the presence of the living Christ in the poor drove the existence of the early church. Being with the least of these is a practice that shapes whole communities into Christ's kingdom. It starts by coming alongside hurting persons. This is something we do as a regular part of our lives as followers of Jesus. We are present to the other person, and we tend to the presence of Christ between us. In so doing, a space is opened where no one is over the other person. No one is an object just to receive service, and no one is a project we have to work on. We're people together. What happens when we start to see Christ 
in the eyes and hearts of the least of these? What happens when in our love for God, we begin to love others just as much as we love ourselves? I'm sure I'll be able to tell you when I find the right page. Oh, it doesn't only change the people we serve, it changes us. It shifts the focus of our lives, and it brings about Christ's kingdom here on earth. Speaking of Christ's kingdom, we're going to skip ahead one more time in our Bibles. We're still in Matthew, Matthew 28. So if you have your Bible with you, let's look at Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. This is where we find the resurrected Jesus. He's already been put to death. He's already conquered the grave. He's coming back now to give some final instructions. This is like last words, famous last words for his disciples. This passage is called the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Pass along that knowledge. And remember this part. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, friends, there's a reason they don't call this passage the great suggestion. It's not like, if you've got a little time, you know, maybe you might want to tack this onto your schedule. If we truly want to be Christ's disciples, then we must take this commissioning to heart. We are not meant to be simply disciples, but disciple makers. We take what Jesus has taught us, we, we take the love that he's shown us, and we pass it along. We bring other people along for the ride. A key part of living into God's mission is bringing others along for the ride. So let's review this framework. We looked at three passages. This is Jesus' teaching on the subject. Number one, first he says we should have profound love for whom? For God and, and one another. Profound love for God and for one another, for our neighbor. Then he says that how we treat the least of these is so important it defines our eternal inheritance. Are we going to be a sheep or a goat? We're going to find that out based on how we're treating the least of these. Finally, he tells us to make disciples of all nations. Yes, even those we don't know much about. Yes, even those we kind of don't like. We've been hearing about them on the news. Uh, he tells us to share his teachings with every person we encounter, every person we can find on earth. That's key to the mission of God. Friends, are you getting a sense of what's most important to Jesus? I'm asking, you get, are you getting a sense from these passages? I want to know. I'm seeing thumbs up. Here's a hint. It's everybody. The defining posture of the Christ-like heart is outward toward others. You imagine the cross. We see it, these two relationships. It's us to God, and then it's us to others. This is the essence of missional living. A Christian faith that is unconcerned with the love and care of others is a Christian faith unfulfilled. It's unfruitful. It's useless. Um, James tells us that faith without works is dead. Ouch. Now, that's not to say that your works are what save you. We are saved by grace alone. Um, a Christian faith that lives on mission, that lives for the sake of others, is actually modeled after Christ's life himself. Think about this. When you imagine Jesus' death on the cross, 
Missional living is like Jesus' death on the cross because it stems from God's love for us, because it sacrifices our own desires and plans for the sake of others. Think about Jesus. Lord, if you will take this cup from me. He was not excited about the sacrifice he was about to make. But thy will, not mine, be done. Your will, not mine, be done. Um, it served to restore a broken world. We know how broken things are. Things are hard. 2018 was a tough year. Um, we're called to be a vital role in God's restoring of the world. It's a vital part of God's work to reconcile humanity to himself. Sin broke that relationship. And God gave us this gift, this amazing gift in the form of a baby that would be the salvation, the reconciliation of our sins. And now the restoration of the world falls to us. He invites us into that. God in his love for us gave us salvation we did not deserve. And missional living is our response to God's grace. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul wrote this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is God's grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's a nice acronym for grace. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Is that kind of making sense? I see some nods. I've never met anyone who embodies these concepts better than Leah Maniara. Leah and her husband, Paul Maniara, are mission partners of ours at Christ Church, and we support them financially to do their ministry in Kenya. Um, and I was grateful to spend some time with them there in Kenya in October during a Christ Church global outreach trip. Uh, Paul is a bishop who oversees many churches in Kenya, the AIC, Africa Inland Church. Um, so he and his wife, Leah, are extremely busy. They're bouncing from church to church, meeting people. Um, they have lots of meetings and lots of scheduling. The thing about Leah is this. She's always late. And she's not always late like me in the sense of like, oh, I'm disorganized, where's my papers, my phone is dead, blah, blah, blah. She's late because she is constantly being with others. Um, it's because she sees Christ in every person she encounters all day long, and she is tending to their needs. That stuff takes time. Um, at one point during our time together, Pastor Eric Haskins, who many of you may have met, um, he's a Christ Church pastor, was teaching about spiritual formation on this trip. He was in Kenya at a church teaching local pastors about how to nurture their own faith lives, and this group of boys showed up outside the church. They're kind of curious. There's like five of them, and they're standing around, kind of peeking in, trying to see what's happening inside the church. Their clothes were tattered, and they, they kind of had this like forlorn, longing look, like, I want to be, what's going on inside? Um, Leah asked them if they were hungry. They were shy. They kind of, yeah, they were. So the schedule, the plan, dictated that Leah should be inside with the seminar with these prestigious people who have come from America to be with us and the pastors of the churches. This is where the important things are happening. But that is not where Jesus wanted her to be. Leah knew that when these boys showed up, she was meant to be with them. So she went in and grabbed some food that was intended for the guests of the seminar. They're called mandazi. They're like these donuts. If you imagine like a, like a pita blended with a Krispy Kreme, that's kind of what it tastes like. It's like sweet and doughy and gluteny and, you know, that's all that good stuff. Um, 
and, and then some chai tea. And she brought this stuff out to these boys. And you should have seen their eyes they were just like, oh, so excited. And she sat them down and she asked one of the boys to pray over the meal, which he did. And then um, she was just talking to them as they're devouring these mandazi and drinking the chai. And she's talking to them in these soothing tones. And I kept hearing the same word over and over. Yesu, Yesu, Yesu. She's talking to them about Jesus. She's teaching them about Jesus as she's feeding them. I will never forget that moment. She had important plans. Leah had places to be, but she stepped away from her plans to be present with the least of these. To her, nothing was more important than feeding them and sharing God's love with them. Now, if you're like me, you may be getting a little anxious right now. When I meet all these mission partners and I hear about these amazing things they're doing, this tremendous work they're doing out in the world to serve the tremendous needs of the world, hunger, poverty, abuse, violence, people being ripped from their homes, becoming refugees, they're floating adrift in boats. I get discouraged. Do you? Does anybody get discouraged when they watch the news? They go on Facebook and see what's happening? Does anybody ever feel hopeless? Once you begin to wrap your mind around the scope of the mission, you too may become discouraged. You may think, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, then the problems of the world are now my problems. But the world is too big. The problems are too many. Brokenness is rampant. It's hopeless. But my friends, do not be discouraged. Do not be discouraged. Take comfort in these two facts. First, God's mission is accomplished through whose power? Through God's power. It is not our strength, but God's that sustains us. It is not our wisdom, but God's wisdom that guides us. It is not ourselves, but the Holy Spirit that equips us for this work. In Luke 12, 12, we hear this. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say at the moment when you need them. When you're out in the community and you're trying to be present with people, you worry, I don't know, what am I going to say? I want to go and be with people. What do I say to them? The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say when you need them. Bringing redemption and reconciliation to all the world is not your job alone. It is the work of the body of Christ of which each and every one of you is a vital part. Do you believe it? That was moderately loud. I want to hear, like, when it's New Year's Eve, it's like 11.59, and then the cheer. Like, what's the cheer you're going to do then? Do you believe it? Yeah. Happy New Year! <laughs> Our Happy New Year is going to be at like 7 p.m. because I have a three-and-a-half-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. We're just going to do the countdown 7 p.m. <laughs> just in case you were wondering. Okay, number one, it's not, God's, it's not our strength of God's that sustains us. Number two, God has gifted you uniquely to do the work he is calling you to do. When I say you, I don't mean like, oh, the general you, everybody out there. You, and 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 you. How many yous are in here? He has equipped each of you uniquely to do his work. Um, I'm going to read to you from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. 
So in this next passage, Paul likens this differentiation of gifts, like the roles we all play, to the parts of the body. Someone's a hand, someone's a foot. It's a great analogy, but I want to think of it, it's a little more fun, um, as a football team. You guys like football? Corey likes football. That's my brother-in-law. He's a Packers fan. Just like Larry, you two should meet. Um, if missional living were the same... <laughs> Amen. If missional living were the same for all of us, it would be like if every player played tight end. Imagine a team where every player was tight end. Everyone's like running around like, pass me the ball, pass me the ball, give me a handoff. They're like running in circles around each other, and the ball's just sitting there on the ground because there's no center. There's no quarterback. There's no one to, 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 make, you know, to make those connections. Um, in the body of Christ, every role is vital to the mission. Uh, And not just the people on the football team. There's the trainer who tapes up the emotional injuries with pastoral care. I think of Renee Richel over there. I work with her on the mission staff at Christ Church. All week long, she's taking phone calls from hurting people, people who can't find a way to pay their rent, whose homes are broken, you know, losing their houses, trouble with their families. And she's on the phone with them, caring for them, caring for them over and over. She has a tremendous gift for that. Renee does not get enough clapping. Um, The funny thing is that the only part of football that the body of Christ doesn't have need for is the crowd. In this game, no one is called to sit there up in the stands and munch hot dogs and drink beers and think, yeah, go, this is great. Like watching by the sidelines. We are all called to have a role. And that role will be different for each one of us. Okay, Peter, I can hear you thinking. I hear these gears turning. I get why you want me to serve, but what exactly do you want me to do? You expect me to get on a plane to Kenya and fry up some donuts? (laughs) Maybe, yeah. I think there are people in this room whom God is calling to serve abroad, to bring his gospel to all nations, to baptize people and teach people. Um, And I hope that you'll take part in that if you're intrigued by what I'm talking about. I hope you'll follow up with me. Come talk with me after the service. I'm a pretty friendly guy. And maybe you'll consider joining one of us, joining us on one of our uh, 2019 global outreach trips. But I don't expect all of you to do that, and that's okay. We're used to thinking of um, under-resourced countries as the mission field, and they are. Uh, But flying around the world is not what makes one a missionary. And you don't have to fly around the world in order to find people to serve. In fact, for some people, the mission field is the bar around the corner. And I mean literally the bar around the corner from my house in Westmont on Cass Avenue. Um, This one such person, uh, David Fitch, yes, the pastor and theologian and professor I told you about earlier, he spends a few hours once a week at this bar around the corner from my house just waiting to meet people. Um, It's called Potbelly Pub. You go there, I think, like on a Wednesday, maybe you'll see him. He knows that not everyone is ready to bring themselves to church, and so he goes to bring church to them. He doesn't stand on a soapbox with a megaphone like, fire and brimstone, you're sinners. He just goes there and he sits down alone and he prays, Lord, be present here. Make your presence known. And guess what? He does. God shows up. David Fitch claims that spirit-led conversations occur nearly every time he goes to this pub. 
These new connections are formed. Conversations start. Thoughts and feelings and prayers are shared. People begin to reveal their hurt and their pain, and He joins them there, and He invites the Holy Spirit to join them there. God tends to the needs, emotional and physical and otherwise, of the people that Fitch encounters. And life change occurs as a result. The body of Christ grows as a result. One more time, New Year's Eve. Do you believe it? Yes. Happy New Year. When we go out into the world and invite Christ into our interactions, the living Christ shows up. When we invite the Holy Spirit to work through us to evoke profound life change, to bring about reconciliation of broken relationships and transformation in people's lives, we better believe it. We better be ready because God will deliver. Now, I'm not trying to suggest that every man, woman, and child in here rush out to the nearest pub after the service. Although if you do, let me know where you're going. I'm kind of getting hungry. Um, but I am suggesting that you go into the ordinary, everyday places of your life with a new intention. I want you to begin to see the world you inhabit as the mission field, and I want you to invite Christ to join you there. What are your weekly rhythms? Where are you going already? I want you to begin to see the mission field as another term for where people are found. It's like, go where any, anywhere where frozen dinners are sold. Go anywhere where people are found and invite Christ to join you there. Your office, your school, the grocery store, the train station in the neighborhood. Raise your hand if you were at that train station outreach the other day. You guys, some of you people were out there like in the freezing cold in the wee hours of the morning handing coffee to strangers to show Christ's love. I want to clap for that. And don't forget your own home. As Christian parents, our family is the first mission field. The goal of, of biblical parenting is not to raise well-behaved children, although that is a delightful side effect, hopefully. Um, it's to raise disciples who love Jesus and who love others abundantly with servants' hearts. So, I am not going to tell you exactly what missional living will look like in your life. I'm not going to give you that catchy got milk tagline because I don't have it for you. God's mission is too robust, too exciting, too surprising for that. But I'm going to give you some steps to get started. These steps should help you adopt a spirit-seeking, missional posture, primed to do the kingdom work that God has in store for you to do. Step number one. Let's say the steps together. Step number one. Pray. I want you to think about the people you see every day, the person who's checking you out in the grocery store, like checking out your items, not checking you out, hopefully. <laughs> well, now maybe. I don't know. Um, who's scanning your groceries, okay? The neighbor who waves at you as they drive by, you don't really know them. Think about these people and then begin to pray for them. Pray as you're standing there in line at the grocery store. Pray as you're driving through the neighborhood. Pray when you're laying in bed. Pray as you're doing the dishes. All these little mundane, ordinary moments. Invite God's presence into those moments and say, Lord, where are you leading me? Um, I want you to, to watch how your perspective begins to shift when you pray without ceasing and when you start to see every person you encounter out there in the world through God's eyes. Step number two. Discern God's will for you. That's kind of a longer one. But as we're praying, we're hoping that God will begin to reveal 
more of himself to us and more of his plan to us. God, where do you want me to go? Ponder these questions. Who has God placed in my path now in my everyday life? Who are these people that I'm bumping into all the time and I get that nudge? I really ought to reach out to this person. I really ought to love on this person a little bit. I'm a little awkward, a little nervous. What am I going to say? But the Holy Spirit is going to give you the words to say. Um, the second question, what are the gifts that God has given me to use for his kingdom? We all have these different gifts. God has equipped us differently. Um, when I started serving with the high schoolers at Christ Church, I discovered that the kind of the weird, like rambunctious, over-enthusiastic Peter that had been chastised by people, like people I had dated actually mostly, they just didn't like that. Those were gifts that I could use in high school ministry. Those were gifts that God had given me to serve. Um, so start to think about what are those gifts that God has given me and how can I use them? Um, so step number, three. step number three. Yeah, I like that. Do it. Go out and do it. Get started. Have the courage to get started. Reach out to people. Start the conversations in the checkout aisle. Bring over a meal. Ask someone over to dinner. Pray with the stranger. Invite the living Christ into your interactions each and every day. God, use me in this situation for your purposes. God, bring the right people into my path and give me the right words to say to do your work. Invite Christ into your life and see where he leads. I also, and Renee is going to be happy that I'm telling this part, I also hope you'll help us meet the needs of Christ Church's mission partners, many of whom are in the Chicago area and are always in need of extra help. You can join us at the Christ Church Food Pantry with Doug and Camille and Miss Debbie. What? <laughs> Join us at the food pantry. They need your help. They are literally serving the hungry people right around the corner from here every single month. Um, you can come with your family on a Saturday and be present with the people who are coming for this food and the clothes and just be a blessing to them. And you just, you, you, you're, it's togetherness. It's not, I'm serving at you. Receive this service. It's like, let's be together, Right? Um, you can become a mentor to high school kids through Resilience, which, which is a partner organization of ours what, um, you know, that, that actually was birthed out of Christ Church. Um, we saw the needs in the community right here. Um, and we said, how can we serve the needs of these people? And you can join with Resilience and high, mentor high school kids. Um, you can serve the homeless downtown at Pacific Garden Mission. So if you check out the Christ Church website, you will see many opportunities to serve right now that Renee has lovingly put on the website. People, God is at work everywhere, from Downers Grove all the way to Kenya, and he's waiting for you to join him. Now, I have one last thing before I stop here. I just want to tell you something um, about you. That I, I really believe this, um, that there is something special happening in this church, this Downers Grove branch. Um, the word is out about you. People in Oak Brook are talking about what you're doing. You're here in the wee hours of the morning to set up chairs and set up staging. And, and somebody's out there in the cold putting up signs on the road so people know how, like, can find their way here. And you're out there at the train station handing out coffee. People here have a desire to be the church of the community, to begin to live missionally for the sake of others. And I just have this sense from the conversations I've been having and praying and thinking about it. I feel like we're on the cusp of... of something truly tremendous here from this group of people. I believe in you. I feel like God is ready to use you. Do you believe it? Yes. Do you believe it? Yes. 
Happy New Year! Um, so if you take away just one thing from our time together, let it be this. Missional living is not just for the professionals. God created each and every one of you, each and every one of you, for a purpose. We are all missionaries, uniquely gifted and personally called. Each of us has a role to play in God's great redemptive story. And if you're ever feeling unimportant or inconsequential and small and insecure and you kind of find yourself thinking, the world is huge, the problems are too many, how much impact could really come from somebody like me? Remember this. The God who created the universe with his breath, he spoke the universe into existence with his words. And the God who gave us the gift of his son to die on the cross as salvation from our sins has now chosen you to share his reckless, life-changing love with the world. Let's pray together. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you, thank you, thank you for the tremendous privilege of being part of your amazing story. You have given us so much. You've given us the gift of life, this planet to live on, the basic necessities that we rely on every day without thinking about it. Lord, you've given us love and music and the joy of being together. And Lord, you've given us a mission You've given us the privilege of being called to share in your work, uh, to see the fruits of your love here on earth, restored relationships, the hungry fed, the lonely given new hope. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage this church, encourage every person in this room, give them a renewed sense of your presence in their lives and a renewed sense of your purpose for them. And I pray that 2019 would be a year marked by amazing miracles of your making through them. In your precious name we pray. Amen.